Yeah, I joked about Patrick and his hat, but he knows, you know, a cowboy doesn't wear the same hat every single Sunday. I saw that life group video pop up and I was like, oh, thank God I'm not wearing that blue long sleeve tee. I almost grabbed it today. Do, uh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever worn the same shirt to work back to back and been called out for it? I have. Sunday to Monday, I thought, well, nobody was in church. I thought I could do it, but no, they knew. They knew right away. Now, where are my people who lay out their clothes for the whole week, where you're, I'm sorry, for the day before, day before, let's start with just day before. Let's go. You don't have to be ashamed of yourself. Get them up there. We want to see you. We want to know who you are. Now, at what time today will you lay out the clothes? Right before bed, two in the afternoon, as soon as you get home, after you've picked out, they're like, what? Just shout it out. I'm, I'm ready to listen. I hear you. Before bed. Before bed. That's okay. Nice. Anybody just wake up today, grabbed what the first thing they saw and hope for the best? Nice. Yes, I feel you. That's me Monday through Saturday. Yeah. What about the whole week? Now, I know you're out there. Hands up. If you lay out every single outfit Monday through Friday that you are going to wear, and then you line it up in your closet so it's easy to grab. Yeah, I see some of you looking down. I know that's you. The guy in the back had his hand up. You don't have to turn around. It'd be too shameful. Now, regardless of when you pick it, what we wear, I, I, I do think clothes kind of matter. I mean, have you ever been caught in the rain without an umbrella or some kind of rain jacket? I have. You know what happened? I got all wet. Yesterday, I thought, oh, I'm going to be in the sun working fourth Saturday. What do construction guys wear when they work in the sun? Long pants, long sleeve shirts. Don't do that. It was awful. I don't know how they do it. It was way too hot. I was like sitting there trying to Tom Sawyer people to, to, to switch me in my role. Hey, come outside. It's way fun to wave the cars in. I'll be in the shade. Same goes for the opposite. I haven't been in the snow in a really long time, but if I do, when it gets to like 65, warm coat, gloves without uh, uh, fingers, all that stuff. You get a hoodie, anything you can, you got to stay warm because the wrong clothes are never a good idea. It's a lot like, are you ready for this? Trying to live in this world without Jesus. I did it. We're talking about armor of God. We're talking about clothes. I connected it. Our text today concludes our working through this Ephesians letter. Now, does that mean we're going to put the letter away and never look at it again? Certainly not. You know, for me personally, going back and reading the letter after we spent some weeks in church looking at it, underlining those parts that I got from maybe when Dr. Stottero was preaching, when Pastor Tim was preaching, looking at those really makes that letter come alive again, makes me want to read it over and over again. So with that, friends, Bibles out. You can follow along on the screen in case you forgot them today because we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, putting on the clothes that God gives us, the armor of God. Now, I'm going to read the whole thing through and then we'll break it down. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's break it down. In verse 10, we see finally. Now we're at the end of the letter and Paul hits us with that awesome word to start every conclusion paragraph for all you little scholars out there, finally. Because in that one word, finally, he is saying, because of all that God has done for you, because of the glorious standing you have as a child of God, because of the grace given to you not by your own works, because of the plan and purpose that he has made and included you in, because of the growth and maturity you experience in Christ, because of the life he has called you to live, because he has filled you with the Holy Spirit, because of all of this, there is a battle to fight. And if we are going to battle, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That's a phrase, that's an idea that Paul is probably remembering from a story about King David way back in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his men are exhausted, and the soldiers are actually upset with David because while they were out, the city had been raided, the women and children were taken away, and even though they're exhausted, and even though the men are starting to turn on David, he turns to the Lord. It says, he found his strength in the Lord, prayed, stood up, and got going. And that's a huge key for our text today, that we must be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. You can put a weak man in the strongest armor. It does no good. Believe me, I have seen enough Marvel movies and read enough comics to know that it's true. Villains like Stilts, that guy never wins. Daredevil always beats him. Iron Lebowski, he lost. Thanos, spoiler alert, he lost as well. And the same would go for us. In our sin, in our human nature, we're too weak. And to think that we just need some new tech or some fancy armor and then we could do it ourselves, that's wrong. Friends, Psalms 120 says, where does our help come from? Should we look to the hills, to all the shops along the side that are selling us happiness and whatever it is that we think we need? No way. We find our strength in the Lord. We begin with the power of the Lord and His might. So how do we do that? Because it isn't just saying some words like some spell. It isn't just some positive thinking that Paul is saying. If you just say it over and over again, it's going to happen. Look at it this way. Might is inherent power or force, right? When you got muscles like my man Estevan who made the video. Estevan, can you give us a little flex? We can turn around for this. That's just his hand. But below that are really big arms. Even if he doesn't use them, it's the reserve of strength that he has there. It's there. That strength is ready and waiting. Now, power is the exercise of might. And when he uses that to bench press 200 pounds, I did 205, not a competition. When he lifts his weights, that's his reserve of strength put into action. And that's the same for us. God has the might. And that might is used as the power for our lives. But if we just sit back and say, I'm going to do nothing, God's going to do it all, we're missing the call of this text and what Paul is saying here. And if we say the opposite, I'm doing everything, and when I'm done, I'll give a little point up to the big guy in the sky. Friends, that's wrong too. Because Paul is talking about battling. He's talking about works here. Let's be clear. The working out of our faith. We're not talking about salvation or justification. Salvation is all God for us, Christ for us. But standing and fighting is something we do together in relationship, filled with the Spirit, armed with the power of God to stand. The power of the almighty God in you to stand against the devil and his schemes. 
Paul's saying, let's be active participants as the Spirit is working through us. Let's rely on His strength. Let's rely on the strength that God gives us to do the things that God calls us to do. And let's go. Let's take those clothes. Let's put them on. Now, the armor, the clothes we have here are going to be explained by Paul in just a little bit. But I love that we're not going to sit there choosing, what am I going to wear this week? Or worrying if this is the right shirt to wear or if these were the bold choice with purple converse, my wife said, no, I went for it anyway. Can I get an amen? Good choice. That was at least 73%. We're going to go ahead and keep these. Yeah. Now, maybe not, though. Actually, that, uh, that fell flat, actually, in my mind. I may not wear them ever again. So maybe one more try. Amen. amen. I feel so much better I can continue. Now, God puts it on us, right? He sends us into battle with everything we need. Friends, we're fighting against things bigger than us. Look what it says there. Rulers, authorities, powers of a dark world, spiritual forces of evil. Paul wants us to remember that back in the Old Testament, it was the Lord who wore the armor. Now, this is from Isaiah 59. It's going to sound super familiar in just a little bit. Listen to what it says here. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, he will repay wrath to his enemies, retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. He will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. Breath of the Lord, spirit, oh, the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. And then I love 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. The Lord is the warrior, and then we take that with the gospel stories of our Lord who was stripped of everything, laid bare on the cross, yet there conquered death, Satan, and dismantled all the principalities and powers of this world at that cross, rose from the dead, and that risen Lord Jesus now shares his armor and puts it on you. There is a reason Paul calls you more than conquerors. Because while Satan and the variety of terms there, powers, principalities, all of it, Paul listed referring to our spiritual enemies, maybe they might be vast with different levels, different ranks, they have a goal, which is to knock you down from where you stand. But friends, they can scheme all they want. They can attack, but they do not win. They can intimidate and insinuate, tell you you're no good, that you're too weak, that you have too much sin. Try to overwhelm you, oversaturate you with their lies, distract you and tempt you. But you and I stand in the Lord together. We do not come to the Lord alone. We come together. Did we not stand together in the Lord and confess our weaknesses? We didn't hide in the bushes alone. We called upon the name of the Lord to do what He does, forgive and save. Have we not came, come to the same water and received the promise, new life, clothed in righteousness? Have we not all eaten at the same table to have our faith strengthened? Do we have faith strengthened? Do we not sing together 
about the works not of ourselves but of God. Yeah, we battle. And in this battle, the enemy will come, but we will stand. With the strength of God and his armor that he gives us, we are called to stand and to use them. God has given us, his people, a call, a a mission, a course to fulfill. One that Satan is trying to stop every moment of the day, but when he attacks and intimidates, we stand. Stand doing the Lord's work against every spiritual opposition. And we do that because we stand in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We stand together in grace in the gospel, in courage, in faith, in strength, in freedom, in unity. We stand firm in the church that God has given us, this gift of a place and community where we have access to the restorative hope of our Lord, where we find companions and friends to do battle with, dressed in the same armor belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted, gospel of peace. There's going to be six pieces mentioned. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Now again, this is all from the Old Testament, right? The covenantal relationship between God and God's people. By Christ's death for our sins, we see that truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God still characterize us to this very day. In these six things, we put on Christ. We are in Christ. We live Christ. Friends, we are to be marked and distinguished by truth, practicing truth, people of action, not letting lies become us or given to the wiles of the devil, held together by the truth. Remember what Jesus said. He's the way, he's the life, and he is the truth. Covered in his righteousness. Major organs covered when it comes to a breastplate. You don't go into battle against enemies without your organs covered. Our lives are covered by the work of Christ. And when we wear that armor and those things come at us and we stop listening to ourselves so much, we instead listen to God who covers us. Who says, I have you. I have made you in the image of myself. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that with him, in Jesus, you are enough, covered in righteousness. And I love that our feet and our shoes, we're moving, we're going, we're prepared and ready to speak to that hope that we have, ready to share the gospel, the story of Christ, the reason why we have peace with God. Friends, you bring the message of peace. You are ready to speak to the mountains that you sang about that God has removed in your life. We get so nervous to share this gospel, but friends, can we not speak to what God has done for us? Cannot each one of us say, this is where he fought for me. This is what he has done for me. Then we're told to take up this. We're rooted in the belt of truth, have the breastplate of righteousness, got the peace of the gospel, but we take up the shield. Not a small round one, but that big old large one is what Paul is talking about here in the ancient war, right? Arrows launched everywhere. 
at the beginning of an attack because the idea wasn't just to hurt the enemy, it was also to panic them, to confuse them, to think that there was nowhere they could go. Think you can't relate to that? Turn on the news. Think there aren't some arrows falling down? Walk down your own street, go to work, go to school. Arrows falling everywhere. All the thoughts and worries, feelings, fears, lies that come down on us. Try to get us to panic, to doubt. Hurled by Satan as fiery darts. It is faith in Jesus that turns them back. The shield not only blocks the arrows, but extinguishes them. That's crazy. Faith in Christ is the protection we have against all this craziness and brokenness around us. A helmet of salvation connected to the hope of salvation in Thessalonians. It's that helmet of salvation that protects us from the discouragement against that desire to give up. Satan's most effective weapon sometimes is discouragement. But when we put on that helmet of salvation, that hope that we have, knowing that not only are we saved, but that God is going to triumph. And provides a sword for us. Provides the word of God. The Bible's not some book that looks really nice on the shelf, full of good advice that maybe we'll follow from time to time. We are supposed to wield it, use it constantly, regard it as the Word of God. The very God who created everything has spoken to us. We take it and we depend on Him to help us. We take that Word of God and we use it. Because not only did the Spirit give us the Scriptures, but also makes them alive to us or us alive to them, equips us with how to wield it, what thrust to use. That's a sword term. I looked it up. Think of a soldier or a ninja practicing, right? They go all the moves. I've seen them in the circle, in the windows. It's awesome. You practice ahead of time, so that at the time of battle, you instinctively and instantly recall what verse to speak, where to go, what words to shut down the evil one. Think Jesus when he's being tempted in the wilderness. That comes from time and commitment and experiences with God in His Word. And then comes the very last section, which interestingly enough is the part where He finally calls us to action, right? He tells us, take up the stuff, tells us to stand in the armor of God, but He calls us to pray. Let's get the band. Yeah, yeah, I need the music. Now, we cannot separate being dressed in the armor of God from prayer. We can't separate standing in Christ against the evil one from prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. All kinds of prayer. Prayer upon prayer. Every kind of prayer we can think of, we should use. Group prayer. Corporate prayer as the body of Christ. Prayer with your life group. Individual prayer. Prayer with your spouse. If you are not praying with your spouse, it is powerful to sit there and come before the Lord together. To be open with one another praying. To pray with your children. Who is going to teach your children to pray if you do not fold their hands with you and teach them the words to say? 
silent prayer when we're walking, shouting prayer when we come up against those strongholds, walking prayer wherever we go, falling to your knees and praying prayer, groaning prayer, prayer in your journal, writing elegant prayers. Everywhere you go, constant prayer. Just pray if you want to sum it up in two words. Through prayer, that spiritual strength, the armor of God, goes to work. But I'm not good at prayer. Who told you you weren't good at prayer? Did God tell you that? Prayer is a gift. You're not good at prayer. It is a language you speak because it is the language of the Father, it's the language of the heart. In many ways, prayer is the way that we rely on the might and power of our God. We're not just saying words. We're entering into relationship, using the language that underlies, permeates all of our life, all of existence. I've ended a lot of sermons with amen. I've ended a lot of sermons with prayer. I can't think of a time that I have ever asked you to whoever you are sitting next to, or individually, whatever you're more comfortable with, to end a sermon with prayer. 